I'd like to read one verse tonight, if you have a Bible. Towards the end of your Bible, it's found in 1 John, 1 John 1. Well-known verse, it's uh, what we've been singing about tonight, the blood of Jesus Christ. And uh, I'd like to read maybe just two verses here and put them together and speak on that for the next portion of the meeting this evening. So if you have a Bible, 1 John 1, we're going to read verse 5, at least the first part of it. I think it's important because it leads into the verse that I want to speak on tonight. 1 John 1 and verse 5 says this, This then is the message, the message which we have heard of him. That's of God, and we declare it unto you. This is the message that we have heard, and we declare unto you. And then just drop your eye down to verse 7. Verse 7 starts and says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And these are the verses that I want to, this is the words that I want to speak on tonight. If you can remember these words, these are, these, are, these are very important words, and I'd like to speak on them tonight. And it says here, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You put those verses together tonight, you, you get an idea of what I'm aiming for. This is the message that we have heard, that we declare unto you, that the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, God's son, cleanses us from all sin. Sometimes people come and people go from these meetings, and they're not sure what the message was. And I, I can understand that. You, you come to a tent. You could be distracted. There's a number of things that are new and maybe never heard the Bible open before. And you could say tonight could be, um, you know, it, it, there's so many different uh, examples. There's singing. There's, uh, you know, there's the weather. There's, it's, you'd say distractions could be, could be great. But the message that I have for you tonight is very simple. Very simple. The Bible tells me here that of all the things that life has to offer, whether you live on this in this world, for 60 years, 70 years, 80 years, there's someone in a tent tonight who's 100 years old. You say, no matter how long you live, when it comes time to die, in this life, will you have lost your sin? Or when it comes time to die, will you have lost your soul? That's the question tonight. That's the message. And I declare unto you from the Bible tonight, you have the opportunity. Lose your sin. Or lose your soul. Choice is yours. I use this verse tonight because it's a simple verse and it comes so close because it deals with sin and it talks about it and, and it, it makes it clear because uh, of all the times that you want to hear that little word, all, uh, that, 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 that three-letter word, A-L-L, all the things that you could place it in front of. Um, people could talk about all of my house being clean, right? Or you could say, all of my kids being uh, have graduated. Uh, all of the all of the, the tent has been has been uh, fumigated for bugs, right? At, at all, it just uh, it, sometimes it has it has a really glorious tone to it. But the thing tonight that the Bible says, all your sin, the sins you committed when you were nine, the sins that have plagued you since you were eighteen, the sins still that still bother you when you get up in the morning and when you go to bed at night. The sins that seem to creep and, and, and call for us, as it were, longing to know that we have not forgotten about them, no matter how bad they are, or maybe we consider them like white lies. Sin, the one thing that is bringing us down to hell, the Bible says, cleanse from 
All sin. All sin. You say, but what about all sin? Oh, but Dave, how about the all sin? I could go down to Hackensack and go to the prison. Bring me to any cell. All sin. Take me to any courtroom this week. Any courtroom where someone has been claimed to be guilty. And I could look at them and say, all sin. Cleanse from all sin. Why? Because the Bible says it. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sins. I, I mention that because we become comfortable with it. We become comfortable with the, the things that we listen to. The, the, the things that pervade our ears during the day, the sins that go in one ear and out the other, and it never even it never even moves the heart, the sins that we view on our phones, the sins that come from the heart, and just the hatred that we have for some people that we know and some people that we don't. Next time, my friend, next time, next time it comes up in your heart or comes to your mind, remember, that's the sin that put Christ on the cross. It's nothing, it's nothing to be looked at in a light way. Every single sin... No matter how small, no matter how great, that's what put Christ on the cross. There's nothing small about it. It's the greatest problem known to man. And here our verse says, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. I look at that, and I want to look tonight at who, and I want to look at what, and I want to look at why. I really want to start with what, what, who, and why. And our, our verse there, it says blood. It says blood. You'd say, I wonder why it uses this term blood. And, and when we read it there, it means he died. He really died. When we talk about battles, when we talk about wars, we say that's where blood was shed. You go down to Gettysburg, they say that's where Americans, the greatest blood that was shed by Americans there at that battle. And you'd say when blood is shed, it means a life was lost. You know, the when the Bible itself, think about the times that the Bible speaks about blood. We sometimes do a blood drive at the uh, gospel hall there, and we get people to come in and donate blood. You know how much one pint of blood goes for? About $300. People come to us and donate blood, and we give them donuts. You'd say, amazing, right? Amazing, the value, the value. You say, you donate a pint of blood, you get a cracker or something like that, and you go away, and an American Red Cross goes and sells it to some hospital for 300 bucks. You'd say, it's valuable. We know it's valuable. And yet the Bible says, you were not purchased. God didn't pull out a wallet. He didn't pull out a wallet and use silver or gold to purchase you, the Bible says in 1 Peter 1. It says, we were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Talk about forgiveness. Forgiveness is one of those things that's going out of style. You say, what is forgiveness? You know, how, how do we forgive and when do we forgive? You said the Bible, it tells us about forgiveness. And it says, without, without blood being shed, no remission, no forgiveness, no forgiveness for sins. So the Bible is clear. And we come here and we have this cleansing, cleansing. You know, blood usually stains. If you've got blood on my shirt tonight, Sometimes you say, uh, you can see, sometimes I have these little points here. Little, you say, you could get blood on a shirt, it would stain. And yet this blood, this death, it cleanses from the one stain that is not on the outside, it's on the inside. The stain of sin. And our verse here says, 1 John 1 and verse 5, we said this message, verse 7, this is the message that the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses from all sin. You say, why? Why blood? Why is it blood? Why is it the life? Because that's that's what that's what makes us alive. So it's what gives us life. 
is, is the blood. You say that's what coursing through these veins, being pumped out of this heart, is this blood. And you'd say, I know I'm alive. And you'd say, it's, it's, it's what the Bible tells me cleanses. But you'd say, who is it? And the Bible says, it's his son, God's son. It says here, he died. You know, if he was just a man, and he was just like you, he had 46 chromosomes. He had something like 206 bones, you'd say, just like us, you'd say, in his body. It says his heart probably beat 90 beats a minute. You'd say, just like you or I, just a man like you or I. If he were to stand side by side with, with many here, you'd say, you'd look at them, you'd look at him, you'd look at me, you'd say, he was just a man, just a man. He had blood, he had bones, he had a heartbeat, he breathed just like you and I. You'd say a man, but if he was just a man, he could have never died for your sins. Because the man that we declare to you tonight, Jesus Christ, he was the God of heaven. The same God that took a pile of, of dust and made a man is the same God who went into the dust of death and he died for your sins. You'd say, it's this man's blood, this man's blood that has such immense value tonight to cleanse your sins anybody here who wants their sins forgiven i stand in front of you a tent full of individuals some people will make eye contact with me some people won't but i know there are people in the meeting tonight and you're not on your way to heaven your sins are not forgiven and if you had to search your heart would you say to me this is something that i want something that i need i don't want to leave this life and lose my soul I want to lose my sins. Well, the Bible says, God says, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sins. What a man. What a person to declare to you tonight. You'd say, no other man that we could think of, of declaring to you tonight. A man whose death gives you life. Just down the road here, Patterson, New Jersey. Man's name was Bill Haas. He was born in 1910, December 30th. Maybe you've heard about him. Bill Haas, when he was born, he had a, a strange fascination with snakes. Most of us never had that, hopefully. And you see there, from an early age, as he grew older, he went to different camps in the area, just outside of Patterson and up north. And, and, and he, had this, he, he had this ability, these snakes, he said he would, they would bite him, and it didn't affect him. The, the venom, it, he had a king cobra at one time in his life bite him. He had rattlesnakes. I think they even said there were a number of copperheads that bit this man. And you'd say it didn't affect him. He was, he was immune to it. And he built up this immunity over his lifetime. And you'd say bite after bite. They say in his life over 200 times this man was bit by a snake. And you'd say his blood, it was immune to the venom of one of the most poisonous and deadly uh, you would say creature that we have these different snakes and you'd say so valuable was his blood that when someone else got bit in fact there was a man once down in Venezuela who got bit it was a dignitary son and they flew Bill Haas down to Venezuela to give that man his blood so that he could save him you say amazing amazing man I think it was something like 26 or 27 individuals in his life who he was able to save they did a documentary on him he lived to be 100 years old, so maybe there's something to the snake bite. They did a documentary on him. Canadian Broadcasting Channel did a broadcast. They, they did a documentary on Bill Haas, and they told about his remarkable life. 
And then the amount of times that he was able to save others, the, the way in which he became immune to the, to the venom of this snake bite. It was, it, was, it, it, it was a remarkable documentary. I have an uncle. He's kind of my uncle. And he lives in a place called Sarnia, Ontario. And he watched that broadcast. And after the broadcast was over, he goes, I wonder if Bill Haas' phone number is in the phone book. Bill Haas was born in Patterson. He lived down in Miami, Florida. He went online. He found Mr. Haas' phone number. He called him. He dialed his phone number. His wife, Nancy, picked up the phone. He said, is Bill there? He says, who's this? He says, this is John. He says, uh, what are you calling about? He says, I just watched a documentary on Bill Haas. I want to talk to him. He goes, let me see if Bill wants to talk to you. So she went to the other room. And he come back. Yeah, Bill on the phone here. He goes, Mr. Haas, I just watched a documentary on your remarkable life, of all the lives you have saved. He goes, that is it's unbelievable. And Mr. Haas said, you know, he goes, it was just, uh, what can I say? He goes, and, and my uncle said to him, he goes, can't believe you saved 26 lives. And Bill Haas said to him, well, he goes, actually 27. There was, there was another one since, since the documentary aired. He says, unbelievable. And he said, Mr. Haas, I have a question for you. Your blood has saved 27 lives. Do you know of any bloody's blood who has saved your life? Do you know of anybody's blood who has saved your life? Mr. Haas says, I, no, I, no, I don't. I, I, no one's, I, I was immune to the venom. I, no, one, I, no, no one's blood ever saved my life. My uncle said to him, he said, he goes, I'll, I'll be brief here. Let me tell you this. He goes, it's one thing to save people from a snake bite. He said, let me tell you about a man who died and his blood can cleanse you from something greater than venom. It can cleanse you from your sins. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanses us from all sin. Mr. Haas said, I know what you're talking about, but I don't believe that. And he hung up the phone. What about you tonight? You believe it? You believe it? You believe it? It's more than just something to read on a page. It's more than just something to sing about. Oh, precious is the flow that cleanses white as so. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. It's more than a song. It's more than, than, than just something to hear about. My friend, someday we're going to stand around your grave, and I want to know. Will I be able to look there and say the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin? How about it tonight? Lose your sin instead of losing your soul. How about it tonight? Because the verse is clear. It's plain. No one leaves this tent tonight and says, I don't understand what Dave was talking about. What did he mean? When Christ died, you say, not only, not only was it a what, his blood was shed at Calvary, where you want to look at the, the crown of thorns on his head. But you want to look at the nails that went through his hands and his feet, the spear that went through his side. You say, one thing is for sure, that day at Calvary, that Friday afternoon in the year AD 33, outside the city of Jerusalem, you say you could still visit the place. And guess what? The man who died there is alive today. And I tell you this, his blood, his life, his death is good enough to take away your sins. Would you believe it? Not just the what. The blood of Christ, not the who, his son, God's son. But why? Why does blood 
Why did his death, why is it tonight I don't tell you to get down on your knees and you go march home on your knees? Why is it tonight that I don't want your money, that I don't want your praise? Why is it tonight that I don't tell you, you don't have to come back here to get saved? You don't have to go somewhere to get saved. You don't have to be something to be saved. You don't have to say something to be saved. Why is it tonight that I can tell you with absolute surety and guarantee from the Bible, there's only one thing that saves a soul. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. It's his death. Why is it that it saves? Why? Why doesn't being good save you? Why doesn't doing good save you? Why are these things all nothing compared? Because, my friend, there's only been one sinless person to ever walk planet Earth. His name was Jesus Christ. There's only been one man who ever willingly, from the day that he came until the day that he died, wanted to die for you and knew your name. It amaze you. It must amaze you that at Calvary, as his hands were extended from side to side, of all the thoughts that went through his mind, I guarantee you, he knew your exact name on his mind. Your exact name was on his mind. Wouldn't matter how many middle names you had, he would have known each one. It wouldn't matter how difficult it was to pronounce, he would have been able to pronounce it with absolute accuracy. And he could have said that day at Calvary, I am dying for their sins, all of them. Because the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sins. How does it save? How does it save? I'm reminded of a story there. The man's name was Joey Jeetham. He was an actor from London, England. And he was visiting down in Mumbai, India. He was at the Leopold Cafe. It was November 20th, 2008. Just a night out in that city. Actually, the, the cafe is right next to a, a hotel there. The Taj Mahal Hotel. And there he was in that cafe. And that night began a slew of terrorist attacks. Eleven men with different types of firearms went through that city to various locations, and they went into the Leopold Cafe, they barricaded the door, and they took the lives of what they thought was every individual in that cafe that night. And that night in that cafe, I think there was a cafe, there were 16 or 17 people who died. In the total attacks over the two days, there were something like 175 people that died. But Mr. Jeetham, he, he lived. He lived. He was in the cafe. He was there when they opened fire on the crowd. And they took the lives of everyone they thought. When they left, there was no one moving. They left. And there, that one man left alive. A newspaper from the UK interviewed him two weeks later. He was still in the hospital. They said, what do you owe your survival to? How did you survive the attacks? How did you not die and the other 16 did? Almost considering suspicious that one man survived and 17 didn't. What is it that you owe your survival to? He was quick, and he knew the answer. He said, I survived that night because I was covered in someone else's blood. They thought I was dead already. I was covered in someone else's blood. When, 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 when those terrorists looked at that crowd on the floor, the lifeless forms of the men and women whose lives they had took, they looked and they saw everyone was covered in blood, and they figured that everyone's life was taken. And so they forgot that the one man there who was still alive, the only reason he survived because he was covered in someone else's blood. You ask David Timothy Zudema, you ask Matt Hebert, you ask a slew of other believers, you ask Baldwin Jones in the back there, you ask him, how you get in heaven? How you get in there? How are your sins forgiven? How in the world do you have peace with God? How could you guarantee me that you're going to be in the place where the streets are paved with gold one day how do you know you're saved? 
How are your sins cleansed? It's because of the blood of Christ. It cleanses from all sins. It's because on that April afternoon, in the year 8033, a perfect, sinless, spotless man went to Calvary and died instead of me. I have nothing else to tell you about tonight. If you want another way to heaven, go some other place. But don't read the Bible. The Bible tells me this, and it tells me it over and over again. If I want my sins forgiven, I can look no farther than a loving God who sent a living Savior to die at a place called Calvary, that someone like me, who never deserved it, never could earn it, never could achieve it, could have it. My sin's forgiven because he shed his blood at Calvary. I leave you these words tonight because these words will outlast me. They'll outlast this world and they'll outlast everything else that you know. This is the message that God has given to us and we declare it unto you. That the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us. Great to see everyone that's out this evening. Uh, let's read in our Bibles in the book of Luke, please. If you have a Bible with you, it's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. That's in our New Testament. Luke's Gospel in chapter 4. Luke's Gospel in chapter 4. Here is the announcement of the Lord Jesus Christ's ministry, but let's just stop. Start reading in verse 17. <clears throat> and there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah, Luke's gospel, chapter 4, here in verse 17. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister and sat down. And I love this portion of this verse. It's something that we oftentimes gloss right over, but let's listen to what it says here. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him, or fastened on the person of Christ. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Now let's just turn over uh, to Luke in chapter 5, just one chapter over. <clears throat> and verse 31. Luke 5 and verse 31. And Jesus answering said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The last reading is still in the same book of Luke, but in Luke chapter 23. Luke's gospel in chapter 23 and verse 33. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his garment, or his raiment, and cast lots. Now continue down here into verse 38. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This 
is the king of the Jews. And one of the malefactors or one of the criminals which were hanged, he's on a cross near Christ, railed on him saying, or cast accusations on him saying, if thou be Christ, save thyself and us. Or if you're the person that men say you are, or you've said you are, save yourself and save us. But the other answering rebuked him saying, dost thou, thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man, the person in the middle, the person of Christ, hath done nothing amiss, hath done nothing wrong. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. That's all we're going to read about today. I enjoyed the hymn that we sang together, The Love That Jesus Had For Me, To Suffer On The Cruel Tree That I, A Ransomed Soul Might Be, Is More Than Tongue can tell. And I really appreciate what the Apostle Paul says about the love of Christ as the Apostle Paul is reflecting on the work of the gospel and he's saying, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gifts. So really, when we're speaking in the gospel, it's difficult at times to even express or communicate uh, this message of the gospel, or this plan of salvation, because it's so vast, it's so immeasurable. The person of Christ stands absolutely unparalleled. But I just trust that today, with God's help, we can uh, point you through the Holy Spirit, but point you to a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. I love what we just read about here in the book of Luke, because you see what Jesus is saying to these people that are all around him. And Jesus is saying, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. And I wonder as I read those words, is there someone in this audience and that speaks to you? Someone who's brokenhearted, someone who's tired of being tired with your sin. This is the person who has solved all these problems, who has fixed the problem of sin, who's washed us as far as the east is from the west with the blood of Christ. And it says, he hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty or to set at freedom them that are bruised because of sin, them that are enslaved because of sin. And he says to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. So as we read these scriptures together, as we enjoy uh, verses from the Bible and really the power of salvation and the believer rejoices in the work of Christ, the work of the cross, and the unbeliever uh, sits there and understands for maybe the first time in your life tonight that you need a Savior and that there's one Christ who died upon a cross. Let it be so that Jesus says here, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Because the word of God would tell you and I uh, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So what we have tonight is not my opinion or it's not David's opinion. It's what the word of God says about the person of Christ. It's what the word of God says about our sin. It's what the word of God says of how you're knowing that you're going to heaven. It's what the word of God says about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, the lovely person of the Lord Jesus Christ and how he hung on a cross and he hung on the cross just for you and he hung on the cross just for you. And I can do this all around the world because Jesus told a man named Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We've been speaking a lot about love lately, just in the gospel. Really, the gospel, it's good news. It's about one who loved you and, and mankind hated him. But notice this here. One might ask the question, uh, well, Matt, does God really love, like, does God really care about my particular soul? If you were to look in the book of Luke chapter 15, just to give you an example of uh, how God looks upon a soul, you would read these words, that there is joy, joy in the presence of a church. No, 
Didn't say in the presence of angels of God over one sinner that repents. Can you imagine just for a second that as it were, when one sinner comes to trust Christ, that all of heaven reverberates with praise and joy of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. And in his grace, he's taking a sinner who's plunging and a sinner who's perishing and a sinner who's uh, plundering, as it were, aimlessly and wondrously through this world. And he's come to seek and to save that person that's lost. And Jesus, through the work of the cross, saves the person. And for the first person, first time in their life, that person has become alive. And they have been bought with the precious blood of Christ. And heaven, for your soul, rejoices. It's remarkable. I can't understand it to this day. But that's a beautiful thought. You are so loved from Joshua to the back of the room that all of heaven would rejoice if you came to trust Christ tonight. So let's just continue here as we uh, go through the gospel. But tonight, I want to be a little bit real. Maybe last night we had a couple laughs together of some particular stories. But tonight I just want to, as it were, take off our costumes. And from the front to the back, let's just get real tonight. Let's just drive the message home. Because you and I would walk around in this world with a costume perhaps of false happiness. Or a costume of false humility, if we can use those words. Or a costume of value or perceived value. Or a costume of affluence. God is saying, listen, take all the costumes off and let's just speak right to the heart. And God wants to look right into your heart. And God wants to get real. And God wants to tell you about our sin and the problem that sin has with never entering heaven. And not only does God want to tell you that, but in all transparency, God wants to tell you about the person of the Lord Jesus and how he paid for sin once and forever. And he removed your sins as far as the east is from the west. And that's what we're really going to get to this evening. It's interesting how God works, and uh, there would be a scripture that would tell us that uh, our ways, or his ways are not like our ways. His thoughts are not like our thoughts. And there are things that happen in life uh, that we sort of stand back and we wonder what's what's happening. But in the past few weeks, anyway, uh, we have had uh, numerous uh, funerals. My friend Craig, uh, his father passed away, Hugh Kelly, and uh, so I was struck with that in the in the state of Washington, um, there was a man, Wayne, who was a believer at 85 years old. It, this is all during a tent series, just like we're having tonight. He passed away as well. And we're sort of sitting there like, what is happening? Everyone seems to be just falling over. And, and these are two believers. Uh, uh, there was a vendor of a believer here. Uh, he just passed away. There's an Anna girl who in Okanagan, where we just had tent meetings three weeks ago, she passed away. I just got a text this morning. Uh, she passed into eternity. And I can tell you today that I don't know if she was a believer. A solemn thoughts here. I'm telling you this because there's a man, Latchlin Foote, his father since uh, New Year's Day in 2018 has been posting this on Facebook to get people's attention. And it's this, his son at 21 years old, a day before he turned 22, he uh, came home late at night at two o'clock in the morning and he decided to make himself a little drink. uh, He wasn't feeling really good. And there's a protein drink that you can make uh, that has caffeine in it. And he started dumping just a little bit of the powder of caffeine. And this is what he wrote here. Uh, on his Instagram pr- uh, post, he said these words. The, this drink, it tastes awful. He was from Australia. These are the words that I want to focus on. He said this. Anyway, good night, lads. See you in the morning. And in two hours, he passed into eternity. Do you know what had happened? What he didn't know was the serving that he had taken for the caffeine that was added to his protein drink was the equivalent of 50 cups of caffeine. And his little heart at 21 it exploded, and he went into eternity. It struck me as I thought of that, because uh, there are individuals, as we speak in the gospel like this, there's individuals all over the communities, all over the world, and, and we're boasting about tomorrow. There's many plans for tomorrow, and there's things that we want to accomplish tomorrow. And the Bible says, boast not for tomorrow, for we don't know what a day will bring forth. And friend, today, if I asked you very carefully and very respectfully, if tonight was your night, where would you be? If you took the step 
Let's get solemn. Let's get real. If you took the step and you left time as we know it, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 52 weeks a year, hopefully 80 to 100 years of your life, and you step out of time and you enter eternity that the Bible speaks about in the book of Job as the king of terrors, where would you be? It's a place that you don't know anything about. All we know about is what the word of God tells us, but there's a heaven above and there's a hell beneath. Hell beneath for the unbeliever who's never come to know Christ as their own personal savior and heaven above. And to God be the glory for the believer who's come to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So sometimes as we speak, we, we do get excited. I watched David, he's sort of jumping on the pulpit, but sometimes we do get excited because one preacher also mentioned these words, preach as never to preach again as a dying man to dying man. So I just trust tonight, friend, just take our words just with, uh, with absolute, just uh, the purest form, if I can say that. We're just speaking from the heart tonight. And we just want to point you to the person of the Lord Jesus because the day that you come to understand who Christ is and who you are before a thrice holy God, you'll come to understand your sins forgiven and a home in heaven. So let's just go right through this particular scripture here because uh, time is just ticking. But notice what Jesus says here. He says, I have come to preach the gospel to the poor, poor in spirit. I would say this, uh, perhaps let's even go past it. Let's say poor in health, but ultimately poor as far as not knowing the riches of Christ. I've come to preach the gospel to the poor. I've sent me to heal the brokenhearted. There are many individuals that I walk into, and regardless of how rich you are or how poor you are, regardless of what part of town you came in, or, or regardless of the riches that you possess or the riches that you don't possess, regardless if you went to college or you didn't go to college, and they tell me, Matt, I am brokenhearted. I'm tired of sin. I'm tired of the burden of sin. I'm tired of the embarrassment of sin. I'm tired of the shame of sin. And Jesus says he has come to heal that heart that's broken. Jesus wants to heal that broken heart. He wants to take that family that's broken because of sin and bring that family back together again. And it's all through the work of Christ. I have seen in my personal experience, when people come to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, perhaps it was a rocky home. Perhaps it was a home filled with violence. But that person comes to trust Christ. They are born again. They are converted. They become a new creature. And the home is different. And the families are different. And children are different. And it impacts the entire home. Why? Because Christ has come. And he's coming to the world to save sinners. Not those that are self-righteous. He didn't come to call those. He came to call sinners to repentance. Notice he continues. He says, recovering of slight, preach deliverance to the captives. The book of John would tell us about our sin. And it would say that you and I are slaves to our sin. We are bound to our sin. We can't get out of our sin. No, one reason, because people do form addictions in their sin, but also this, you are born in your sin. And because we are born in our sin, we need to be born from above. We need to be born again. And that work comes solely through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's, and that's when a, a sinner comes to Christ and comes to the cross, as Brother Dave has been mentioning, and they realize that that blood has been poured out on a cross, all for them, and to wash them from all their sins. It's something hard to understand how blood could wash your sins. That's what the Bible teaches. And that's what Jesus provided. Recovering of sight to the blind. I, my, my father, if he was here to give you his testimony, when he got saved at 22 years old, he was saved out of a, a very wretched, wicked, sinful life. A very dark life. You, you name it. Hell's angels, name the whole thing. That's what he was part of. And when he got saved, he didn't understand. He didn't have a church life. But he understood one truth found in the book of John chapter 3 and verse 16. And he understood this truth, that God so loved him and gave his only son for him. And that if he believes in him, he will not perish and have everlasting life. As he was reading the, the Bible as a brokenhearted man. And when he came to believers, they said, well, June, his name is June. They said, June, uh, 
How'd you get saved? That's the question we're going to ask you. How'd you get saved? How do you know for sure you're going to heaven? He said these words. Once I was blind, he said, but now I see. (laughs) Understand? We are blinded by the God of this world. We are aimlessly walking through this world. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. The just one dying for us, the unjust. And he has set at liberty or set at freedom them that are bruised. And Jesus says, this day is scripture fulfilled in your ears. You wonder, well, well, what has sin really done? I don't seem to struggle with sin too much. Maybe there's someone younger here today and you say, well, I haven't really done too much wrong. Here's the problem. The sin that you were born into, the one sin, will never be allowed into heaven. So we need to have that sin taken care of. I like what you said, brother, about uh, choose your soul or choose your sin, right? Something like that. That's really what it comes down to. And so, but let me just tell you six different things that sin does. Number one, sin destroys the innocence. It does. Sin destroys innocence. There was a day, I guarantee it, if you ask the older ones here especially, that at at a younger age, perhaps at at eight or nine or ten years old, or perhaps in your early teens, when you saw something, and it was something that that bothered you, something that struck your morals, you began to blush. And you began to get embarrassed. And it was something that you just weren't comfortable. Yet, when five years goes by, and ten years goes by, and you get into your early 20s, and you get into your early 30s, and it touches our brother's thought as he said that sin enters our ears and our mouths and our eyes, and we just don't think anything of it, it doesn't make you blush anymore. It has ruined your innocence. We've become calloused in our sins. And God wants to take the callous walls of a sinner's heart and break those callous walls and show them the love of Christ. But the blood of Christ that washes our sins as far as the east is from the It destroys ideals and dreams. I mentioned it just the other night, but there are individuals that we come in contact with and they always will say to me, listen, Matt, I never dreamt I'd be here. I could take you to a man named Al and he sat in the Pacific Garden Mission and the gospel and Kerwin and I looked at him and he just didn't seem to fit in. He was too tucked in. He was too dressed up. He had a very fancy watch on. I wondered, what's this man's story? Uh, and, and, and maybe in his mid-50s, he's still young. And there he sat. I went up to him after. I said, what's your story? Why are you here? Sometimes it's a visiting pastor that comes to listen or someone from another church and they're just coming to hear the gospel or it's a board member. And I just didn't know who this man was. And he said, here's my story. He said, I I was a stockbroker downtown and I lost my job. And I started to drink alcohol. I never drank it before. And it took my life. And here I am. Homeless. Can you imagine? Half a million dollars a year or more, whatever the case may be. He showed us his different properties that he owned, and he lost everything with touching one thing. And it took his complete life. And it destroyed ideals and dreams. It destroyed that particular person, as it were, his will to say no. He told me flat out, he said, Matt, I would love to say no, but I can't. There are many individuals. Ask them the vice. Ask them what it is. Maybe it's the vice of lying. They just can't say no. They live in this lie. Maybe it's the vice of some particular sin. Maybe it's the vice of gambling. Maybe it's the vice of what you look at on your little phone. Whatever the case may be, and your eyes absorb it, and you can't say no. You would love to say no, but you can't. And that's what sin has done here. It destroys the will to say no, and it produces chronic slavery. That means this. It continues to get worse and worse and worse and worse. And I tell you that all because of this. You can turn to the person of Christ, and it's over. He bore in his own body the the payment for your sin. It produces more sin. You ever meet someone, and I know, the, I know particular individuals, when you hear a story from them, you start to question the story just because uh, they sort of haven't told the truth all the time. And you start to ask that question, and then there's a lie that goes on top of that lie, and then there's a lie that goes on top of that lie, and they just keep building up lies and lies and lies and lies, and that's what sin does. 
it continues to build and people continue to sin. And ultimately, as we learned just this week in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, that the wages of sin leads to death. Leads to death. It produces death. Whether it's death in a relationship, whether it's death in your particular life, physical death. I believe scripture here is even pointing us to the spiritual death that a believer has, or an unbeliever has. They're condemned already. They're destined in their sins. Death. The wages of sin is death. You say, well, why did Jesus eat then with publicans and sinners? Why did Jesus eat with people that were filled with sin, yet he was sinless? Jesus ate with them because he says these words in Luke chapter 4 and verse 31. They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. Let's break it down really, really simple. Jesus is just saying this. A person who is healthy, a person who is whole, a person who does not need a physician, doesn't need a physician. Only the person that's sick. And he says these words, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. If we laid out a person right here in the middle of the room here in the front of the room, and that person wasn't just dying of a particular disease or suffering from a particular disease, but that person lay motionless, heartless, brainless, everything wasn't working, and they're there, and they're in the, what do they need? Well, they don't need a book to tell them how to live because they can't. That person that is dead needs life. That's the only thing that could bring him back to life. Nothing else can't. A church membership couldn't. Money can't. But, the, but he needs life. And Jesus says, I am come that they might have life. And he says, I didn't come to call righteous people, meaning self-righteous people, meaning people that uh, perhaps don't think they do anything wrong. We just had a conversation uh, just this week, Brother Dave and I, um, with a, a young individual, uh, well, young, early 20s. So, and uh, that person said to us, am I good enough to get to heaven? I really don't do anything wrong. Can you imagine? I really don't. God says, all of sin, that's it. Romans 3 and 23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God's standard is absolute holiness. That's why he had to send a sinless person, the person of Christ. God manifest in flesh. And he came to this earth. Yes, he ate with publicans. Yes, he ate with sinners. And thank God he did, friend, because you know what? He went to a cross and he died for sinners. And he was buried. And he rose again the third day. And Jesus is saying, I came not to call the righteous. And maybe someone here tonight is asking that question. Did he come to call me? Listen to the words. I came not to call the righteous, but I came to call sinners to repentance. So just with God's help, let's just look at the story here of a man who's hanging upon a cross and a man who's next to the person of Christ. And he's next and near the person of Christ is another man. And there's two criminals and they're surrounding, as it were, the person of Christ at a place called Calvary. Let's look at that together in the book of Luke chapter 23. Notice that we saw these words, that there was a, a superscription placed upon him. It said, this is, on the person of Christ, this is the king of the Jews. I have this question. When you consider someone hanging on a cross, they would have had to put what you're accused of, what you're guilty of. What would it be? Someone might ask the question, someone might say, well, I'm a liar. There it is. Nailed to your sins. I'm a blasphemer, nailed to your sins. I'm a fornicator, nailed to your sins. I'm a drunkard, nailed to your sins. I'm not honest, nailed to your sins. I'm disobedient, nailed to your sins. I'm prideful, God hates a prideful heart, nailed to your sins. I'm a thief, nailed to your sins. I'm a swearer, nailed to your sins. I'm a murderer. You say, oh, I never did anything of like that, but in your heart, in your heart, when you don't like your little brother or sister, and you love for them to just go away for a little while. That little heart. The heart that's desperately wicked. God's word says that Jesus came to seek and to save them that are lost. Right? You say, well, when I, if I stood before God just the way I am, I'd have a lot to say. Let me say it, you wouldn't. 
I've been in many court cases. One that I'll never forget, uh, not that I stood necessarily in front of the judge, although that did happen before I was saved, but uh, I was sitting there, and I, I was there for a particular relative. I was watching this all happen, and individuals came in. They were all chained together, and then the court uh, commence and they said all rise and the judge walked through the room and you could have heard a pin drop and there was one man there I'll never forget what he looked like he was covered from head to toe in sleeves of tattoos he looked like one of the toughest men I've ever met and the judge called that man's name to the front and I forget what is it, Steve or Stephen or but he called that man to the front and he started to read the crimes that he committed and the man that stood so tough he stood there with his hands his hands were locked his feet were locked, and he stood there, and he couldn't look at the judge. You know what happened when he, they started reading the crimes that he had done? He looked down, and he began to weep, just like a little child. And he sobbed, and he couldn't stop sobbing. Do you know what happened? The guilt of sin, the plague of sin, the weight of sin, and it fell upon him. The judgment of sin, he was guilty. Can I tell you, dear friend, that God's judgment for sin reigned upon Christ? And the God of heaven, the creator, poured judgment upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. The Lord Jesus, as he allowed men to take him and place him on a cross and to lift him between heaven and earth. And angels at the place called Calvary, they're watching the scene of Calvary. And angels become silent. Once they praise Jesus and praise God with all of eternity, you see that in the book of Isaiah and chapter 6. They praised them for all of eternity. But at Calvary, as they hovered over the place called Calvary, they never said a word. And they, I, I picture the angels just waiting, just waiting for the son to say one word. Waiting for a thought to come from the Lord Jesus to wipe man right off the planet. They're watching as men spit on the very creator. They're watching as men open his back. They're watching as they nail him to a cross and lift him between heaven and earth. They're watching as the Lord Jesus Christ says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And I picture angels just hovering at the place called Calvary and just wanting just a whisper from the person of Christ. Whisper, and we'll take him out. And Jesus doesn't. The Bible says he's led as a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep before shears is dumb, he opened not his mouth. The beautiful person of Christ when he was yelled at, he never yelled back. When he was hit, he never hit back. When they plated a, 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 a cloth around his eyes and said, prophesy unto us who it is that smote thee. In other words, you tell us if you know everything. You tell us who hit you. And he knew their hearts. And he knew their names, past, present, and future. And he never said a word. Why? Because he's dying for sinners. He came to call sinners. Not righteous, but he came to call sinners. If one wants to see the depravity of sin, look to a cross. If someone wants to see the beautiful person of Christ dying for sinners and paying for sins, look to a cross. If someone wants to see God's hatred for sin, look to the cross. If God wants to see the reception, the redemption found in the work of the cross, in the work of Christ, look to the cross. Because Jesus died, and he was buried, and he rose again. And because he's alive tonight, you can be alive. You can be alive in Christ. Hope Phillips in Nashville, Tennessee. She's sitting in her home. She watches on Riverside Drive, uh, there's a called Wolf River Harbor, and um, she watches a man sitting in his car, and it was a little different to her. Uh, she was wondering why he was there. There was icy waters, and uh, the man sat in his car, and she could see he was holding onto the steering wheel. You know what happened to this man? I'll be very careful, because there are children in the audience, but he was very tired. You understand? He was tired of the weight of life, and he took his car, and he drove it right into the harbor. And she's watching from her living room. 
But what happened is the man had a second thought as he hit the icy water. And he decided to climb out of his window and the car's sort of hobbling on the water and just sort of floating there. And he's hanging onto his window and she runs out of the house and he looks at her and he says, listen, I'm so desperate. I'm not worth anything anymore. He says, help me, help me. Listen, you'll never know your purpose in life until you come to trust Christ because God has a purpose for every soul that's ever touched planet earth. He wants you to worship him. He wants you to live for him. He wants you to bring glory to his person. And this man here, he's broken. And it says that hope, Without any thinking, the article is beautiful, in freezing water, she runs down the bank of the, the, where she lived, she jumps into the icy cold water, she swims out to him, and she grabs him from the thing, from the, uh, from the, from the car that's hanging there in the water, and she starts to pull him, and as she's pulling him, as she's pulling him up onto the bank, uh, he says to these words, what's your name? And she says these words, my name is Hope. And you know what he told her? He said these words, You know, my mom, when I was a young boy, told me about a a hope. And it was a hope found in the person of Christ. And here I am, broken in my sins. And I would have been lost without you saving my life. Can I tell you, friend, hope itself went to Calvary. And you can have hope in heaven, not some random hope that you hope to get a Ferrari someday. It probably will never happen. This is a hope that's sure. It's a hope that's determined. It's a hope that has no setbacks. It's a hope that has no second guesses. Come to trust Christ. And you can know yourself going to heaven. Let me read because I'm going to close with this one thought. You read in 1 John chapter 5. I can't help myself but do this, but let me tell you what God says about the person of Christ. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 6. I'm just going to read it and I'm going to pray and we'll sing a little hymn together. But let's listen. The verification, as it were, of Christ's credentials. This At first, it starts very complicated, and it gets very, very simple, and I love it. This is he, 1 John 5, verse 6. This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. This is the record that heaven gives of the person of Christ. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree in one. Now you say, well, boy, that's, it's deep. And I understand, but it gets way simpler. Listen. And if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his son, or which he has spoken of his son, or found satisfaction in his son. Verse 10, 1 John 5, verse 10. Listen, friend, you come to trust this, and you can know yourself, you can know you're going to heaven. Listen to the words. He that, he that, she that, he that believeth on the Son of God, he that believeth on the person of Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son, hath Christ, hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. My young daughter, I have to, I have to do it, at seven. And a long story short, she came to us one night and she said, I got saved. I asked her just a few months later after that, I said, Hannah, are you sure you're saved? And she said this, well, Dad, the Bible says that he that believes on Jesus has life. And if he paid for my sins on the cross, I, there's nothing else I can trust, but the Bible says it. Is that what you're holding on to? Because don't hold on to what I said or Dave said by any stretch. You hold on to what the word of God says. He that, he says it here, that ye may know that you have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. He that hath the Son hath life and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Let's pray.